On the show today, it's all good news. Governor Ron DeSantis continues to stand up to protect children. Also, we will discuss a young lady who gave her testimony of God delivering her from the bonds of homosexuality and lust. And last in the news, a very interesting article about what people think will be illegal in 20 years. Then on to our Bible topic, and we're on chapter three of Knowing Sin. All right, let's get to it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are so grateful that you're here today. And if you're new, this is your first time here, uh, don't let the name fool you. Nikki and I are quite Christian. We would consider ourselves very religious folks. Uh, but the world and the country that we live in is not. Uh, it's becoming very secular, very religionless, if you will. And uh, that's part of where we get the name from. And our goal here, just like every Saturday, is to kind of help Christians navigate the news and the world around them, kind of with our eyes fixed on Christ. And we're going to try to do that today. And luckily, like she said, mostly good news. So that makes it a whole lot easier. Um, but before we get into all the news and the Bible topic, is there anything, honey, specifically prayer requests, praise reports, anything you want to say? I am thankful we are done with the move. Um... It took four days. We stayed in a couple hotels that used to be nice and they're not nice anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, just little things like that. I mean, it's a road trip. You deal with stuff sometimes, but nobody got sick, no car problems. Um, the only thing is Spencer just trying to find like a place to pull up where he doesn't have to back out with the U-Haul and the trailer with our van on it. So nothing really happened there except trying to come on base. He had to back up and go through a different uh, gate, not a different gate, but a different um, lane, I guess, that he could fit through. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a bear, but yeah, we made it. Yeah, it was funny. It's pretty smooth sailing all the way till we get right to the <laughs> gate to our house. And then I had to back across four lanes of heavy traffic. I was like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> but we made it. Praise God. Uh, yeah, I mean, hotels, man, it's like, uh, you know, inflation's hit everything. But it's like, you know, the $170 a night hotel room has become the new Motel 6. Yeah. Like both hotels we stayed at, rooms weren't even clean, smelled like weed. Like the first one we were in. I could overhear the workers talk, talking and they're like, if we don't end breakfast early, we won't have enough food and we can't feed them tomorrow. <laughs> like, what is, like, these were nice yeah. hotels years ago and not anymore. Now you better be shelling out $250 a night to even have a warm breakfast in the morning, I suppose. So that was a bit disappointing. But otherwise, thank you, Lord. The trip was all right. Yeah. Nobody was really at each other's throats. The kids were relatively fine um other than my dog everything was all right <laughs> but that's because i'm not a dog person but um yeah well i was gonna have another i guess just moving here back to albuquerque like i can tell it's gotten worse with um the drugs here like we were just driving 
um, down one of the roads here, just right outside the gate. I guess out every gate here is pretty ghetto. But I like literally saw like 40 homeless people. I mean, you can tell they're all on drugs. Um, they all just kind of, a lot of them hang out together. Like they have communities and it's different here. Um, cause we've lived in places where there's homeless people, but it's like just on one road, like 40 of them that I, that I saw and it's just crazy. And then just talking to a lady here uh, at the gym, her daughter was with her at the, the gym here on base. And, and I, I asked her if it was uh, spring break and she's like, no, we homeschool. But she was telling us why she homeschools because the schools here are so bad. They're, they're like prisons, the way they're, um, they're guarded and gated. And it, it, just at a um, middle school, there's shootings and stabbings. And it's just very, I don't know. You d I just don't feel very safe here. <laughs> I'm glad we're on base, but it's like, yikes. Uh, just pray for people. You just see like, sin, just the effects of sin. And just, you know, we talk about the culture a lot and you just see, you know, the home being attacked. We, we mentioned that like the just husband and wife and um, how, how people raise their children. And you, you're, you're really seeing the effects of it more here. It's more common in your face. Yeah, and obviously illegal immigration and stuff's a big problem yeah. here, and we're close to the border where drugs pour over. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, very bad here, and even worse than when we were here four years ago or whatever. It was it like six like. years ago, yeah. But yeah. yeah, maybe six years ago, and yeah, like even Walmart I went to, and it was like the entire store was behind like locked glass cases. <laughs> I was like, no, already then. Um, so yeah, just... I don't know how to ask you to pray for that. Just pray for America. And that's what I mean. Pray like, for <sighs> the people. Pray for lost souls, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, it's just desperate situations here. So pretty sad, but it is a bit dangerous, you know? So we got to be on our P's and Q's, I guess, you know? Make sure you're in the right part of town at the right time and be all right, hopefully. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, I guess I don't really have any specific praise or prayer requests um, necessarily, but I do want to just make mention uh, before we roll into the news. Of course, we're proud members of the Christian podcast community. We'd love for you guys to go searching on whatever podcasting platform you prefer to use. Just look up Christian podcast community. You get access to 55, 60 great Christian podcasts talking about all godly things. We, of course, are on there. Very honored to be on there. And I think you'd enjoy it. 60 podcasts in one feed. Pretty nice. Um, and then also, you know, we love Cardinal Contingency Solutions. We talk about them all the time. And I think we've mentioned this story before, but I have was going through some old notes and I saw it pop up again and thought it's worth mentioning. Youth mission group safe returning home from Panama amid civil unrest. And, you know, I remember when the article, I first read it and we kind of mentioned, you know, you can train your missionaries, your, you know, church volunteers, whoever that's going out around the world and all sorts of things, godly and, you know, faith-based and that's wonderful to teach them. But what do you do when Panama happens? And your small little mission teams down there, and the country collapses and civil war breaks out. Are you ready for that? 
Have you been trained for that? Most likely no. Um, well, I would encourage you to get trained for that. You know, there is options out there and Cardinal is the best in the world at training for it. It's what they do for a living. It's what they do um, for the U.S. government. They train the best of the best to travel around the world in unsafe and questionable uh, situations. And they train them how to come home safely. And they can do the same thing for you guys. So if you have missionaries, if you're in charge of missionaries, if you're considering being a missionary, <laughs> reach mm -hmm. out to Cardinal. And they have something that they can help you with. And I think you'll be blessed. And then lastly here, before we dive in, uh, if you have a spare second, take some time to drop a like, subscribe to the show if it wouldn't uh, burden you too much. And also, if you want to help support the show, um, there's, of course, you know, buy me coffee links if you want to just support the show directly. But also, we have affiliate links down in the show notes for things like Amazon, Best Buy, ChristianBooks.com. Um, any of that stuff, you can go buy whatever you want on there, peanut butter, socks for your kids, you know, a new laptop. It doesn't make a difference. All of it helps the channel and it doesn't cost you anything. And we would certainly appreciate that. Alrighty then. Anything else before we get rolling on this? Um, no. <laughs> we are happy to be back. Um, took us a little bit to get here. A lot of work. Nikki was downstairs putting the entire house together where I was just singularly focused on trying to get the podcast up and running. And uh, we didn't dive too much into the news as I normally would throughout the week, but we do have some good stories to talk about. As Nikki mentioned, all positive news. So no need for the spooky music this week. Um, now, obviously, even while we are gone, the world is generally burning down around us. That hasn't changed. Um, but you can still find some positive in the midst of all of that. And that's what we did. So do you want to read uh, this first story coming from probably our favorite politician to ever discuss, Ron DeSantis? Uh, DeSantis administration is revoking Hyatt Regency Miami alcohol license after it hosted a drag queen Christmas. And then just go through these first couple paragraphs. Sure. The DeSantis, oh wait, oh sorry, I thought I was reading the title again. The DeSantis administration is revoking the Hyatt Regency Miami's alcohol license after one of its facilities hosted a drag queen Christmas with minors present in the audience. The Department of Business and Professional Regulation filed a 17-page complaint Tuesday against the show's venue, the James L. Knight Center, which is affiliated with Hyatt. The show required people under 18 to be accompanied by an adult as a condition of being allowed to attend. A Drag Queen Christmas is a holiday-themed drag show that tours in 36 different cities and features stars from the reality show RuPaul's Drag Race. The state's business department accused the Miami venue of several violations, including a prohibition of lascivious exhibition, before people younger than 16, though it's not clear to what extent this law is generally enforced. Man, I flippin' love Ron DeSantis. And also, RuPaul has got to be 60-something years old by now. I mean, yeah. RuPaul's been drag queen in, since I was a kid. I mean, yeah. that's the first drag queen I ever that's remember the, hearing yeah. about. Um, yep. RuPaul. Now, 
I understand, of course, as much as I love Ron DeSantis, that he's a politician and he is just as likely as probably anyone to completely let it, let us down and stab us in the back as all politicians do. Um, but as it stands today, I think Ron DeSantis is a national treasure. <laughs> he is uh, so grateful mm -hmm. to have lived in the free Republic of Florida for the last two years. You know, it's funny coming back here. I thought about this, you know, driving around and walking around. You know, you spend two years in Florida and it's a pretty normal, you know, as far as back to normal as it can be, safe, no, you know, just a what you would have, <laughs> America from yesteryear, you know, when mm -hmm. people were just normal. And then we come to New Mexico with maybe one of the worst governors in America, um, Michelle Grisham is her name, I believe, right? And it's like, it's amazing to see the way governments and just the people that are, you know, supportive of one political ideology, the way they live their lives. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've seen walking down the street all alone, wearing their masks still. Mm -hmm. People riding bikes, getting exercise, wearing a face mask. And you're just like, these people are nuts. This far, like, <laughs> it just, it's, it's crazy. So yeah. love Ron DeSantis. The man is a national treasure. Um, but my question as I saw this was, is he the only elected leader in the country that actually cares and actually knows how to stand mm. against this demonic attack that's been going on in this nation, and especially the attack on the children? He seems like the only one that has his eyes open. I know. Right. And it says um, in this article, if I can go down just a little bit, it says... The department said performers were wearing sexually suggesting clothing and prosthetic female genitalia, as well as stim uh, simulating masturbation. And let me see. It says, yeah, sexually explicit content is not appropriate to display to children and doing so violates Florida law. Brian Griffin, DeSantis's press secretary, told Insider, uh, the, the website we're reading this from. He said, Governor DeSantis stands up for the innocence of children in the classroom and throughout Florida. Mm. Uh, and boy, does he. And of course, you know, the degenerate pervert activists, they wouldn't let this stand. So there was a group called Equality Florida. I guess is what they're called. Um, it's an LGBTQ rights organization. And they responded by saying, uh, um, how far will he take this anti-LGBTQ crusade and his desperate attempt to out, uh, outrace his inevitable presidential primary opponents? <laughs> oh, how far is he going to take it? Like, all we're doing is having nearly nude trans adults wearing prosthetic vaginas and simulating masturbation. I mean, what's next? Like, this is their cry. Like, oh, the oppression for poor Equality Florida. Because all Equality Florida, and you could say the Hyatt Regency, they're the ones that put on the show. All they seem to want to do is indoctrinate your children into sexually immoral lifestyles 
convince them to mutilate their bodies by chasing this false, you know, belief that gender's fluid. And hey, you know what? Sure, at the end of the day, they'll be more suicidal. They'll have a higher chance of cancer and other debilitating medical ailments. But so what? What's wrong with that, right? I mean, Quality it's like... Florida's all for it. It's these things going on in public locations. They just want to be able to do what they want, wherever they want. Right. I mean, in front of children, especially. And this is sort of the lie that they try to like, ah, oh, Ron DeSantis, you know, he hates trans. He hate, don't say gay, Bill, all these lies that they spew. When he really, he's like, yeah, I don't want you to masturbate in front of children. Is that a bridge too far for you? I don't want you to put on a fake vagina and grind in front of a child. That's a bridge too far for equality, Florida. These people are sick and deranged. Um, but there was another woman in here. Well, I can only assume it was a woman. I don't want to stereotype anybody. Lord forbid. But it says uh, this person's name was Kate Ruani, who directs the U.S. Free Expression Programs at PEN America, a free speech advocacy group. She said, or they said, forgive me, drag shows were protected by the First Amendment, which guarantees the right to free speech. She also said, a fundamental tenet of the First Amendment is that the government should not punish people simply because it disapproves of the content of their speech, Ruani said. Yet this decision will harm a business simply because it supported speech the government doesn't like. All righty. So Kate that said- That wasn't speech. How was the acting out under speech? Well, and again, you would classify, you know, our acting out necessarily as uh, free speech. You know, it's if I want to go LARP in a, a forest and dress up like a paladin from the Middle Ages, I have the right. That's my sort of freedom of expression sort of thing, free speech. Um, but. This is idiotic, in my opinion. Like, we demand our right to free speech. And by free speech, of course, they mean we demand our right for trans adults to masturbate in front of children. That's their argument here. We demand the government allow us to masturbate in front of children. So the children who were there were there because their parents, well, let's even say parents, just an adult accompanied them. Right. And this is kind of what got them in trouble. If you read through the article, they originally said like, hey, you know, an all ages drag show or something that they pitched it as. And they got, rightly, they got advice, I guess, from their legal counsel that was like, that's not good to say. So they changed it to say, basically, you know, anyone, you know, you can come with someone of 18 or older or whatever it happens to be. Um, and that's how they kind of tried to get around it. But I thought that drag shows, I guess, when we were kids and knew about RuPaul. I thought it just meant men dressing up like women parading, and that was it. But this other stuff, this is beyond drag show. No, I mean, from all the stuff that we've seen and the reports that have been shown, these are drag strip shows. I mean, there are people dressed almost nude, dancing, grinding. I mean, they're strip dancing performances. It's what you would go to a strip club to see in a sense it's just dudes dressed pretty you know pretending to be women kind of a thing so um 
it's perverse. These people are a blight on society and, you know, someone needs to tell them. And I hope they hear that unless they repent, they're deserving of God's righteous judgment. Uh, But I just love Ron DeSantis and we need more governors to grow a backbone, you know, to stand up to this sort of perversion like Ron DeSantis does. And the thing is like every state and even nationally, we have laws regarding indecency towards minors. This isn't something that's never been talked about or discussed. These laws exist. What we've been lacking for so long is any leader with the political spine or backbone to actually enforce them. They just let kids be sexually perverted and they feel, I don't know, cowardly to actually go, hey man, uh, it's kind of always been wrong for grownups to masturbate in front of children. I don't know when that's changed. Like that's kind of was it always been something wrong. Like the age restriction or be accompanied by an adult, does did that have more to do with the drag show or that there's alcohol present? Because was it, it like could be a bit of both? Because I don't, you know, even the idea like, oh, if you're accompanied by an adult, like you couldn't say, oh, if you're accompanied by a by an adult, you can come to deja vu. The strip right. club, you know, you're not allowed, like, but kids are not. These drag kids shows do the same thing. They're twerking in thongs, you know, showing their, it's the same thing you'd see at a strip club. So I don't know how you just go, ah, just bring a waiver from your parents, have them sign it. And then Is it going to be the field trips kids go on? Yeah, I would imagine if you're in California, they might be taking you to strip clubs for, you know, school outings. Um, But yeah. And this, you know, with Ron DeSantis, this isn't the first time that he's done something like this. And I pray that it won't be the last. Uh, The article in here goes on to say, uh, well, you can read it if you want. Obviously, all these articles will be in the show notes. You can go give them a read. But it says in July 2022, the DeSantis administration filed a complaint against a Miami bar that hosted a drag show where minors were present. And it filed a similar complaint against the Orlando Philharmonic Plaza in February. So this is not uncommon for Governor DeSantis. And the great news, I guess, this article does go on to mention that other states, including Tennessee, it mentions specifically, are joining, I guess, this fight against child perversion. Um, It says legislation from Republicans in several states, including Florida, um, has targeted drag performances with lawmakers saying they want to protect children from sexually explicit material. This year, Tennessee became the first to ban adult performances, including drag from public spaces such as parks and schools. Schools. (laughs) Like, what a drastic step. Hey, guys, we can't have dudes in thongs with lipstick on teabagging kids in a park. Um, That's just... (laughs) inappropriate um we can't do that anymore we got to pass a law to stop that so but kudos to them kudos to tennessee and kudos to um ron DeSantis. and you know in my opinion i think matthew 18 6 <laughs> should really be like a guidestone at least for us christians and if we're electing officials who uphold our interest this should be a guidestone for our elected officials for dealing with these people that desire to, you know, really, as far as I consider it, 
uh, they desire to drag our kids to hell. I mean, that's what you're doing by wrapping them in this sexually immoral lifestyle from a young age. Matthew 18, 6. Do you want to read that, honey? But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Yes, millstone them. Because that verse, you know, it goes on to say, woe to those by who temptation comes. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that might not be worded as strongly as it's intended, (laughs) but you don't want to be on the opposite end of a woe proclaimed against you by the living God. (laughs) That's a... That's a bad spot to be in. Um, but he's saying there, if you're tempting people to sin, which a all-ages drag show is absolutely doing, woe to those that are tempting these children. Uh, yeah. Lord, have mercy on your soul. But, you know, these sexually immoral, these perverse people, these degenerates in our culture, they're coming for your children. Um And the thing is, we have laws that are in place to protect them. This exists to protect our children. We just need people that are willing to stand up and enforce the laws. And thank Mm -hmm. God we have Ron DeSantis. He's a national treasure. And I just pray that he'll, you know, encourage others to follow in his footsteps. You know, because for so long, kind of the idea was always republicans and these conservatives and christians leave the social issues alone nobody wants to hear about your you know bible thumping do-gooder just focus on the economy and jobs and finances the liberals have the social uh the societal angle cornered you can for ron DeSantis has shown you that is absolutely not true i mean he's taken on disney you know these pedo groomers at disney he's taken on the drag queens I mean, all this sort of stuff. He's a, in every sense of the word, a culture warrior. Yeah. And he just won one of the biggest landslide elections in the history of Florida. So we need to be engaged in the culture. That is a yes. an issue. Even if you lose every election, you should be engaged in the culture war and making the case. I mean, for the love of Pete, you're going to let your children go to hell so that you can win an election? Not great. <laughs> Not great. Um, but yeah, I pray others will follow in Ron DeSantis' footsteps. Yeah. Definitely noticeable coming from the free Republic of Florida to, you know, whatever you want to call New Mexico. Um, certainly not a free republic. But um, on to our next story here, a really inspiring story. Do you want to read this headline, honey? Woman says Jesus saved her from lesbianism by sexuality. Born this way mantra is a lie. A woman who shared her testimony of how God delivered her from lesbianism and bisexuality said she rejects the idea that she was born this way, saying it's nothing more than a lie. Brittany White talked about her life before and after coming to Christ in a de la fe, how do you say it? De la fe? Yeah, de la fe. Uh, de la fe sure. uh, testimonies video posted on YouTube earlier this month, explaining that if it weren't for the transforming power of Jesus Christ, she would still be struggling with same sex attraction and lust for both sexes. Praise God. 
she has been set free from that sinful lifestyle. Um, that is awesome. Good news. Yeah, I really liked her testimony. Yeah, and she says in here, she goes down through her testimony. I haven't listened to her interview, so I'm just going off the article on Christian Post. Uh, I think there are links in the article if you want to go give a listen to her testimony. But she says in here, um, after coming to know the truth and realizing that it's actually a perversion that followed the family, like this is a bloodline thing, perversion, I was like, okay, this isn't me. And then reading the word too, God says that he made man and woman in his image after his likeness. He says, be fruitful and multiply, White said, quoting Genesis 1.28. And says, White added that since God commanded husbands and wives to be fruitful and multiply, this means that a woman going with a woman contradicts the Bible. <laughs> and you know... <laughs> it's pretty easy. I don't know why people yeah. don't get that. <laughs> a lot of times we make the Bible seem way more complicated than it is. But it, there is some beauty in the simplicity of her reading and going... Supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, <laughs> we ain't doing that. So we must not be right. Like yeah. it doesn't always got to be, you know, revelation. You know, sometimes it's just pretty well laid out. I mean, there. she says in there um, how when she was first reading the Bible, I think it was before she was saved and she was going to some Bible studies and, you know, she was reading along and she said it just wasn't getting in her head or her heart or spirit. She's just reading and then she wouldn't know what to say about the scriptures. Like it just didn't penetrate her mind. And, and it is the spirit of God that opens your mind to understand the scriptures and even something this simple, like man and a woman, like be fruitful and multiply. Like she's like, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> like yeah. people really are blinded to the truth. Well, and that's the whole, you know, idea of, you know, one plants the seed and other waters, but it's the Lord who gives the increase. Like, she talks about how a friend of hers invited her to church and that's how she started going, you know, and like Nikki said, you're hearing stuff and it's just like, you know, the seeds being planted somewhere in there, Yeah, but she's not recognizing it. But then over time it's getting watered and then the Lord flicks that light on and she's like, wait, man and woman fruitful and multiply. <laughs> I get it, you know, and making a little bit of a joke here, but I mean, that's the way we all came to Christ. You know, eventually you're like, yeah, I do just sin all the time. <laughs> like something's wrong with me. Well, I think. she does say that you she know? knew, you know, being with a woman or even just sexual sin in general, because she was attracted to men and women. But like she says, she knew it was a sin before she was saved. Right. And I think, you know, and I would say most people that are in church consider themselves Christians that also consider them to live this LGBTQ lifestyle. I would say they probably believe the same, but they're just repressing that truth. Mm. You know, when they go to find people, you know, as it says in Timothy, right? They look for the itch or the, they have those itching ears and they look for a preacher that's going to yeah. scratch that itch, even though they probably know, right? Because again, as this girl says, it's pretty plain, <laughs> right? It's Right. I mean, you open the Bible. This is Genesis one. It's not like it's buried in, you know, the book of Hezekiah somewhere like Genesis one. You're going to find it. Right. Hmm. Uh, but I like her story because I do think this has some serious merit to it. You know, we know that things like alcoholism and abuse and all these sorts of things, they tend to follow generational lines. You know, so if you want to mm -hmm. call it 
you know, a generational spirit, you know, this sort of stuff, but it tends to follow generational lines. So why wouldn't perversion as well? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I could say it certainly seems to have followed my family line. You know, when I talk about aunts and uncles and grandparents and stuff, you know, there does seem to be some sort of spirit of perversion that's followed that line. I know it gripped me for my, you know, younger years in life. Took me a lot to get away from that. But I do think it'd be interesting, and maybe there are studies out there that I just haven't seen, but to study the parents and really like the grandparents, the um, the family at large of these LGBTQ youth and just see where mm -hmm. they come from, see if this perversion does follow in their family line. Uh, and we do, you know, we see anecdotal stories of, you know, the the homosexual parents that they just so happen to have a homosexual kid. And you're like, oh, strange, right? Or they're a trans and they adopt and the kid's trans. And you're like, oh, strange, right? How bizarre. You know, but even just to the degree of perversion that leads to greater perversion, mm -hmm. I think that'd be an interesting study. But even still, right? Um, Like this girl here, she had to be taught that these are sinful lifestyles that she was living in. It was a sinful lifestyle and that it needed to be died to. It needed to be overcome and she learned Christ is the way to overcome these sinful desires. Um, and she mm -hmm. says that she sort of learned this, like I mentioned before, as a young lady invited her to church. Um, let me see. Yeah, she says right here. Uh, then one of her friends had invited her uh, to church for the first time. The service sparked her interest in Jesus, and she began to lose interest in the things of the world. Praise God. <laughs> That's the way it should be. Mm. Uh, White said she found godly counsel at her new church as the months passed, with the congregation helping her undergo a process of inner healing, saying that the Lord delivered me. That is a mm. beautiful testimony, and I want you to keep this in mind. Um, President Biden, as we've talked about on this show, along with the you know Canadian government, Justin Trudeau, they have banned this activity and they want to go further with it. You know, this is what they would deem, you know, conversion therapy, which really is just uh, learning like this girl did that you were made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Our president, the Canadian president, they're banning this type of learning. You're not allowed to learn that you were made in God's image. If you want to mutilate your body, you can only be told that that's perfectly acceptable and it's the best option for you. But this girl is a living and breathing testimony that hearing that she was made in God's image, that Christ can help her overcome her sins, set her free. And they want to squash this girl's, I mean, if it was up to our political leadership in this country and Canada's, they would have told her to just live in that sin, be proudful in that sin. And yeah. heck, even take it further if you want to, right? That's what they would have pitched it to. You're a hero. You're amazing. You're, you know, living your best life when what she really needed to hear is you're in sin, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Yeah, that church she was going to, they wouldn't have been allowed to counsel her at all. I'd love to know what church she went to. I wonder if she mentions it in her testimony because that'd be a church worth it. sending an email to and just saying, thank you. Thank you for standing yeah. for the truth and not cowering to a government that hates God you know, standing for the truth and you set a girl free. I mean, if that's all your church ever did <laughs> in the history of your church, 
You saved a soul from hell. I know. That is a job well done. You can rest easy in your ministry and know we snatched one back from the devil. That is a job well done. So mm. great story. Um, it'll be linked below. Maybe go give her testimony a listen. I didn't listen to it. I'll have to go back and listen after the fact. And uh, if she does mention her church, I'll try to find a way to throw it in a link somewhere so you guys can find it. It just seemed like a very genuine, um, like a real, this, the way she gives credit to God, like, you know, there's no way I could just stop desiring this. Like God completely took it away. Like he changed me. Like she just kept speaking about how yeah. God did this. And she sounds like a person who's just authentically changed, not yeah. like some academic that, you know, some theologian who years ago, and then I learned all, it's like a girl who's like, no, I just came out of it. Yeah. God set me like free. Like a few like, years ago. It was like she, 2020. Yeah. Like she just seems yeah. like a normal person just telling you her testimony. And we've talked about this before. Your testimony is powerful. That is, that's what Christ has called you to share, right? You remember the the story of the demon-possessed man at the tombs, right? And he, Jesus cast the demons out and he asked, let me follow you. And Jesus tells him, no, go back and tell them what the Lord mm -hmm. has done for you. That's your testimony. Go tell them what I've done for <laughs> you. You don't need to know about Moses and the prophets and the Torah. Go tell them what I did for you. This girl's got a powerful testimony because she can say, this is what Christ did for me. You can give me all your arguments, all your Darwinian evolution nonsense. Mm -hmm. This is what the Lord did for me. Take and it or she leave it. says how she was raised in a normal home with her mom and dad. She had like a normal, very blessed childhood. She didn't lack anything. She had everything she wanted. And no, still... no, she was black. She was a girl. She must have suffered <laughs> immense oppression that led her into this lifestyle. I watched Bomani Jones and he told me this. You don't even know who Bomani Jones is. Well, and yeah, it was a black girl. I know I did think of that because that's not something you would hear anyone say in the news that a black person was blessed and had a mom and a dad because we know that's very rare in the black community. Um, yeah. I just thought that was not because she's black. I just mean like anybody not having, you just think, oh, it's more rare for kids to fall into deep sin if they have a normal home. Her, you know did what it I mean? Mention if her parents were religious? I don't think it did. I don't think she, I don't know if she mentioned that. Yeah. Well, we'll have to give it a listen either way. Whether they are, praise God, she's set free. But she did have shame. She said she had shame and guilt Love after she was <laughs> after she was saved, and then she saw her mom walk by or something. All of a sudden, she said she had shame and guilt come over her. Um, and maybe that was just because of her hiding her lifestyle from her parents. And I mean, that's good. I think that's godly sorrow. Praise God for shame and guilt. This that is, is something good. that we've talked about <laughs> with the guys in jail, you know, because we'll hear it every once in a while. Like, you know, if you believe in God or whatever, like you need to let go of that guilt and let go of the shame. And, you know, it's by, and then we're like, no, no, like remember it, you know? I mean, yeah. don't wallow in it. Don't think you're stuck in it, but man, remember, remember mm -hmm. where you came from. Remember what you were set free from. Yeah. Remember the guilt that you felt 
over those sins. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a great sermon by Vody Bakum called Brokenness, where he talks about we have memories for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, is you can't forget it if you tried. Right. God gave us these great minds where we're able for the for better or worse to remember what we've done, the good and the bad. And a lot mm-hmm. of times that bad remembering that stuff and the pain and the heartache and the yeah. shame and the guilt. It just causes you to praise God even more. And it's your testimony. Like if you didn't remember it, if God removed it from your memory, then you wouldn't have a story to share. Yeah. So don't run away from the shame and the guilt. The shame and the guilt that you did. Give him glory for setting you free and that you no longer, I mean, what's the great saying? I'm not the man I want to be, but praise God, I'm not Mm -hmm. the man I used to be. But the thing is, is you don't have shame and guilt when you stand before God on judgment day. You have it now. You don't feel ashamed before him now, even when you come to him in prayer, but you always will feel ashamed that you sinned against God. But you know, you don't feel that way coming before him. You know, you're accepted in Christ. So it is a blessing to feel shame and feel the the guilt, although we know Christ took it on himself. So I know some people might argue, no, guilt and shame is wrong to feel, but... Um, yeah, I disagree. I think it's good to feel. Um, again, it's not to the point where you're beating yourself up and you right. never get over it, and you're just, oh, yeah. I'm a sinner, I'm a worthless... Yeah, I don't mean that. No, but it's remembering, man, you know, think what I did against a holy and righteous God. He had to die for me. He had to mm-hmm. die for what I'm doing, what I just did. Like His mercy is greater in light of your sin when you remember it. And, and I think it's just foolish to pretend that you're going to get rid of the guilt and the shame. Well, I she did kind of talk about that, that, oh, God didn't set me free from the guilt and the shame at that point. And I, I guess I'm not really clear. Maybe she means something else. Uh, maybe she was overcome with guilt and shame, and she didn't have confidence before God at that moment. Well, I think you overcome it to a degree, right? Like, or else we'd all just be locked in a you know in the cold right. shower on the floor, just crying, right? You overcome it to a degree, mm-hmm. but I don't think you ever get to the point, you know, where you're just going to be sitting there and it's just going to have no effect on you. Like, yeah, I lived in total sexual depravity for thirty years and cursed God's name every day that I was alive. Oh, well, what's for dinner, right? Like, I think in the back of your mind, you're going to be like, Lord, I know that I'm forgiven, but forgive me. How dare I? You're so good. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what it should do. And um, so just awesome story. You know, I'm glad. Yeah. I hope she continues. Don't let your foot stray to the left or the right, Brittany. Walk that narrow road. Won't be easy. The devil still still wants you. So um, the last story, though, that we want to look at not so much of a new story, um, but I came across it and I thought it was interesting, kind of funny, um, but it did have an interesting point that I wanted to bring up. Uh, it was kind of this article. It was like an article written about a Reddit post, kind of, um, asking the readers of this post their thoughts. It's from this website called Cheeseburger with a Z. <laughs> so not the most reputable source out there, but again, it's just from a Reddit post. Um but they asked a, just a specific question. Do you want to read the headline? Uh, what do you expect to be legal in 20 years? 30 people share the questionable entities they want. Yeah. So what do you expect to be illegal in 20 years? 
And some of the stuff on here is funny. You know, they talk about banning telemarketers, <laughs> which would be great. I think somebody put in there about, you know, your car's extended warranty, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, they talk about the family vlog channels on YouTube, which I'm all in favor for making those oh, illegal. Funny. There was one person said, like, can't have your phone on speakerphone in public. Yes, absolutely agree. Or people that. with their music on in the gym or... Drives me nuts. Oh my gosh, there's one person in the gym. Well, there's actually two people. One lady was playing like slow music, all loud, just slow music. I'm like... Yeah, it's like we go tired. to the gym and people have like, dude, just you buy headphones. I mean, they cost $5 for the cheap, like, but no, they'll just have their speaker phone on and just super irritating. I think the guy in here talks about being like out on like out in nature or something and somebody just walking by with their speaker phone blaring music and you're like, ah, man, right. not cool. Like Make that illegal. Nature for uh, another one they said was like reheating fish in the office microwave. Make it illegal. So. <laughs> Some funny stuff in there, but the one that I thought was interesting is quite a few people in the article mentioned the idea around privacy. Mm -hmm. And even that the idea of privacy, as we know it, would be illegal in the next 20 years. Um, this one right here, he says, yeah, right here, privacy. Uh, currently, it has some very limited protections. Would not surprise me if in the future, corporations manage to make it actually illegal to try and hide your information from their exploitation. Hmm. Um, and then this point down here, point 22, I think, um, somebody talks about privacy. Well, let me see what he says. Yeah, he says online tracking. And he makes a good point about online tracking. He says, I mean, why isn't, it, why isn't this illegal already? If I would follow someone in real life and write down everything they do, I'll get arrested. But Google can do exactly this with no problem. Pretty good, good point. point, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a stalker if you did this in real life. But Google, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, like everybody, they do it all day, every day, and they, they sell it to the highest bidder, right? Permissions, in a sense. Well, right. So because somebody gave you the permission to stalk them. <laughs> that's the loophole, right? Well, you sign the privacy statement and you're like, oh, you mean the 87 page? size four font that font. nobody can read and understand sure i signed it oh well then we can follow you track you and do whatever we want with your information you're like all right uh that shouldn't yeah. be legal so uh, but i think this idea of privacy being illegal is very interesting and i don't think it's without merit i mean we've kind of learned about these revelations just recently that our privacy really doesn't exist right you know, we've seen that the government's sort of spying on us. Um, we learned that the FBI and other agencies are combing through our social media accounts. You know, we learned this with the Twitter files. Um, even years ago with Edward, uh, Edward Snowden, we kind of learned that some of these same agencies were kind of scanning our text messages, listening to our phone calls and all these sorts of things because, well, you just might be a terrorist and we better find out, right? So, I mean, really anything... I mean, this just comes out, it seems like daily, but anything you put online is apparently entirely and <laughs> apparently easily hackable by just anybody, right? Yeah. So no privacy there. So this really, for me, it would not surprise me at all if our privacy was just illegal. And, you know, so what if we have the Fourth Amendment, right? We see how little our leaders care about the Constitution today. They bash it endlessly, so why would they have a problem 
um, with just outright getting rid of it or working their way around it, right? And this is kind of the workaround they do. It's, well, the government's not restricting your freedom of speech. It's Twitter. That's a private company, right? When you're like, well, yeah, but the government told them to do that. Well, yeah, they were just suggesting me. Who knows, right? So if they're going to find a workaround where, hey, Google owns the internet, you have to use Google services to be on the internet, and Google's the one that limits your free speech. It's not the government. Yeah. Right. That's just a little workaround there. But um, why I kind of really thought this was interesting was for us believers, you know, um, the idea of no privacy, privacy for those who profess faith in Christ. Um, you know, our sins are not quite as hidden as we maybe think they are, um, for better or for worse, right? And we already see this a little, you know, I thought of maybe something you can if you care to know what your spouse is getting into, you know, most of the advertisements that we get um, are targeted toward us based on our particular interests, right? Mm -hmm. So the ads that pop up on their phone, on their computers, um, if there are things that are immoral, you know, uh, it's not random, right? That's being yeah. targeted for a specific reason. So, you know, if you're seeing things on their phone and coming across their screens and different things that are maybe making you like, well, that seems really inappropriate to send to somebody. Yeah, that's not random. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not a coincidence. It's getting sent to them on purpose, right? So they don't really have the privacy there. You know, the algorithms, they're just feeding you um, what they know that you want based on what you keep searching for, right? It's the way the algorithm algorithms work, at least right now. Or even um, if you just linger on an ad as you're scrolling Facebook. They know how many seconds you watched it. Right. I mean, especially something with like TikTok. I mean, that's essentially the way they build your mm -hmm. profile because you're not necessarily searching for things on TikTok. You don't have to even like anything you're just anymore. And it's just whatever. You know, it's funny because I have TikTok. I make TikTok videos for this channel. And like, it's, it, they know what you like. And, you know, when I scroll through it, it's funny. Like, 85% of my feed is like 1980s and 1990s wrestling. Because like, I always see these things from like old Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. And it's just like the nostalgia kicks in. And I'm like, oh, I remember as a kid and I'm watching. So like, <laughs> you scroll through my feed, you think I'm the biggest WWE nerd on the planet, which I don't watch wrestling. It's just nostalgia. And I'm like, ah, you know, Hogan and Sting. And, but you think this dude just watches wrestling <laughs> 24 hours a day. Because yeah, it's what you linger on, right? Mm -hmm. So TikTok might be the safest place. Man, let me see what this dude's getting into with this girl. You're scrolling through and all of it is, is some inappropriate women. Man, that's, that's not an accident. That's yeah. on purpose, right? So, um, but I think importantly for us, right, with this idea that privacy may become illegal in these sorts of things, I think it's important that we represent ourselves, we represent our families, but more importantly, we represent our God well, yeah. Um, even when we think we're behind closed doors, we think we're on these secure websites or we're secure messaging, we need to be aware that we're not secure. Somebody's watching, somebody sees what you're doing, somebody's monitoring it. And, you know, so even behind closed doors on secure websites, right? I mean, cause I would imagine if they're monitoring, they know, you know, all the, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord posts on Facebook. 
But then they know all about the lingering eyes on TikTok with the girls shaking. They're like, oh, this dude ain't no, he ain't no sold out Christian, right? He, he's into the world. He's into the lust of the flesh. So the way you represent yourself online and even in private, I think is vitally important. Um, and maybe if it takes you to be a little bit scared um, <laughs> that you might be exposed, if that's what it takes to keep you walking that narrow road, then praise God for it. Um, but there's that verse in Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Um, do you want to read it? It's Jesus telling us. It says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Yeah. Now, I mean, I mean we know that anything can be exposed, but yeah. God's going to expose it one day. Right. And I mean, that's, you know, talking more about eternally you know, our salvation and our standing before God, but, you know, seems to have a pretty applicable, applicable application. Seems like a weird combo of words, but it seems like an applicable application mm -hmm. to our life in this discussion, right? Um, because we're already sort of trending in the direction of no privacy. Yeah. Things being exposed constantly. Um, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if we just sort of dropped the pretense of privacy altogether as a nation, like we talked about, even if it's a workaround through private companies and, you know, we just went full bore and instituted the minority report level of surveillance. Uh, you guys remember that old Tom Cruise minority report movie? It was like, uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> they would arrest you before you committed the crime. Right. So they had their little computer algorithms that could predict crime before it happened, you know? And so you'd be, pastor standing up against homosexuality fire and brimstone and they go well i think old uh pastor whoever there he's gonna be into pedophilia we better go and arrest him right now as a child predator and just destroy your ministry and like yeah i'm not a pedophile why wouldn't they just warn them and then stop it from happening instead of locking i guess i haven't watched the movie in forever watch maybe i never movie, saw it Nikki. i don't know watch the movie it's like couldn't it's they Tom have Cruise. handled that differently <laughs> so i am curious um what you guys might think is possibly going to be illegal in the next 20 to 30 years i think this is an interesting concept not all of it has discussion. to be you know dire i mean some of it can just be funny like telemarketers right but let us know in the comments if there's something that you think um might be illegal in the next 20 years. I think it's a fascinating, a fascinating thing to ponder. You know, mm -hmm. we've talked on this show before, and I'll mention two things I think that might be illegal in the next 20 years. Um, well, one that may no longer be illegal. And we've talked about this before. If the spirit of the age, the antichrist spirit that's at work in our nation continues to have its way, pedophilia. Um, so maybe they won't arrest that pastor for pedophilia. They'll pat him on the back, you know, because I could see that going away uh, because these LGBTQ activists and really the Democrat party as a whole, you know, they've from their platforms, they've really removed any logical reason from their worldview, why mm -hmm. pedophilia should be illegal. I they know. can't make a logical claim based on the stances they've taken in this whole transgender. It's their LGBTQ. right. LGBTQ. I'm going to cling to what they say is their right. Right. I mean, because if you're a, if you can tell a 10, 12 year old that they're capable, fully f mentally capable to decide if they want to chop their breasts off 
cut their testicles off. You can't in the next breath be like, but you can't make the decision if you want to sleep with that man who's eight years older than you. That's a bridge too far and we won't cross. Right. You can't make that argument. Right. So that one wouldn't surprise me. Um, But on a less serious note, something that I think might be probably, I'll say probably will be illegal in the next 20 years is driving. I don't think in the next 20 years, you'll be allowed to drive your own vehicle. Uh, with the way self-driving cars and stuff is trending, uh, you know, and technology always advances faster than we assume it will. I could see f- easily in the next 20 years, we're not allowed to drive anymore. You know, our kids, if you're having kids today, they'll probably never drive a car. Um, it'll just be self-driving vehicles everywhere. Because the problem is, right, when you have 90% self-driving vehicles, that 10% becomes a real liability. You know, they don't know, the algorithm doesn't necessarily know what you're doing, right? When you're trying to smack the kid in the back seat of the car with a hamburger in one hand, you know, your cell phone. So they just got to get rid of, self, you know, manually driving cars. So I could see driving being outlawed and illegal, which would be a shame. Yeah. Do you have anything, honey? Anything you think might be illegal in the next 20 years? I don't know. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe I'll I'll make a list for next time. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you guys think. I think it's an interesting thing to ponder. It is. Um, yeah. All right. Do you have any last thoughts on any of the news stories that we've talked about today, or? Um, oh, we can yeah. go on to the Bible topic. For America's climate goals, investing in clean energy adds up. But what doesn't add up is an additionality requirement for clean hydrogen. Additionality would put an unnecessary and inequitable burden on domestic clean hydrogen producers and have serious consequences for America. America needs clean hydrogen, but an additionality requirement just doesn't add up. Get the facts at cleanhydrogentoday.org. Paid for by the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association. All righty then. On to our Bible topic. So we are still making our way through Mark Jones's book, uh, Knowing Sin, and we're on chapter three this week. So uh, up to this point, we've discussed sin's origin, which was in chapter one. Um, We've discussed that we are all born sinners in chapter two. And this week, we're sort of discussing sin's privation, which is a word we don't really use anymore. Um, So this was a bit tougher of a topic to kind of wrap our arms around for Nikki and I, you know, the first two chapters were kind of easy to understand. You're like, yeah, you know, makes sense. Right. But this idea of privation, a little bit tougher for us, not a word that we use very often, but um, in this chapter, the author discusses sin and our sin nature from really two angles. So the first is this privation, um, which he says is, the absence of a quality normal present and that privation denotes the loss of original righteousness. And then the second angle that he discusses in this chapter is our positive inclination. And what he means by that is our tendency to commit evil. What was that word I was telling you earlier that was in Holly's book? No, that's what it was. Starts with a C. (laughs) Ah, It was a word I'd never... or... Copernicus wasn't Copernicus. No, it wasn't. Anyway, con, con, something like conspicuous or not conspicuous. 
<laughs> Anywho. But that's what it means, our tendency to commit evil. And I was just like, wow, that I because I knew that Holly was learning about original sin today. Um, just talking about Adam and Eve's um original holiness and justice. And I was like, I wonder if there's something in there, like one of these words that we're learning. <laughs> Because I thought this chapter, I had a hard time following well, it because I didn't that know. word in the chapter. Yeah. And I didn't know like what a couple of the words meant. And I was like, wow, this word that I didn't even know how to pronounce was in Holly's book as one of her, like one of the vocab words. So we're almost as smart as like, a seventh grader. I know. I was like, yeah. wow. And so I was kind of talking with Holly about it. I was like, we're on the same thing in our chapter, Knowing Sin. How yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, we're right where you are just 25 <laughs> years later. Awesome. No. So, you know, like I said, this was a pretty challenging chapter uh, because, again, they're words and they're ideas that we don't necessarily generally talk about in society today, uh, which, of course, is why we're talking about them right now because they need to be talked about, right? So, this word privation, you know, being the loss of our original righteousness, uh, meaning that after the fall and the introduction of original sin, which every human ever born after Adam is infected with, we've lost our original standing of righteousness. Mm -hmm. So we're now born in sin and born in an unrighteous state. That is privation. And Thomas Goodwin says, Total and utter emptiness of all that righteousness and true holiness which God created in man and which the law of God requires. That's privation. So then on positive inclination, Good, uh, Goodwin notes, a positive sinful inclination to all that is contrary to grace, namely a proneness to all sin of what kind soever, which any law of God forbids. Woo! So that is a mouthful. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, the author sums it up pretty simply for us. Uh, so do you want to just read the summary that he sort of wrote there for us? He says, basically, sin involves not only the lack of righteousness, but also the inclination toward unrighteousness, which always leads to enmity against a holy, righteous, and infinitely good God. Yep. So that, in a nutshell, is what he's talking about in this chapter. Privation and positive inclination. So we're born in sin and unrighteousness, and in our unredeemed states, we desire that which is sinful by nature. Um and Thomas Goodwin, again, he mentions two parts of positive inclination. So he says, The inordinate lustings of the faculties after things earthly, fleshly, and sinful, and enmity unto God and unto what is holy. So, um, you know, as Nikki was kind of reading through this chapter and you mentioned it to me, you made the point that, man, this chapter is really all about our total depravity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think I would agree, right? Um, and that's total depravity pretty well summed up, I think. You're born unrighteous and you live your life desiring unrighteousness. <laughs> that's total depravity. We just go our own way, really. I mean, you just see kids, like you're a parent, like you see it. They, they're turning the wrong way from the start. Like they're cute 
you know, they are nice and sweet sometimes, but you see their nature, like nobody teaches them to steal and be greedy. Like little kids are greedy. They yeah, just and are selfish. You know, this is Genesis 8.21. You know, even we talked about this, I think, in chapter one, right? Genesis 6, before the flood, God says that, you know, every intention of man was evil. And then after the flood, Genesis 8.21, he says, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. <laughs> before the flood, we yeah. were, you know, totally depraved. After the flood, we're still totally depraved, right? Um, but I think this is a message that needs to be preached. Man, does this need to be preached from every pulpit in this country, certainly, but around the world. You know, it seems like we're so focused on preaching these messages of overcoming your battles and, you know, God's got your back. But what's that really led us to? All of these sermons, right? It's a nation that claims to be Christian, but chooses self over God at nearly every turn. And rather than being confronted about that lifestyle, they're finding affirmation and acceptance. Andy Stanley waiting for them with wide open arms to tell them how their sin is really okay, right? You know, they'll tell them, hey, Christ came for sinners, you know? And that's the message that they're getting, and it's failing all across this country. And it's failing because it's a false message. You know, this is the message that people need to hear, this privation and positive inclination. You know, this is a message that springs a great awakening. This is sinners in the hands of an angry God. You know, uh, Jones writes in there, as sinners, we are naturally enemies of God, since all sin is ultimately against God. Sin leads us astray from God, and at the same time places us against him, which makes us his enemy. Yeah, so... Like this notion that God is on your side. No, (laughs) you are either on God's side or you're his enemy and eternal damnation awaits you. That's the sides, right? And there's only one way to get on God's side. That's to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm -hmm. That's how you get on God's side. God isn't on your side. Yeah, we are born enemies. We are born like condemned, we're on our way to eternal death when we are born. Like really think about that. Like we are born with a death sentence. (laughs) That's what he's talking about here. That is privation. You are born in an unrighteous state. That is the original sin. It has infected everybody. You can't escape it. The only way you can escape it is belief and confession in Jesus Christ who pays the penalty that you have incurred for your life. Um, So there's a lot in this chapter. There's far more that we can, you know, could get into, Mm -hmm. but we don't want this episode to run on forever. Um, But I do want to highlight just one more point that he mentions in here. He mentions it early on in the chapter. Um, Do you want to read that point, honey? Some have wrongly thought of sin as an alien substance that enters our being and defiles us. Sin indeed inhabits and infects every one of us, but sin is not of the essence of human nature and is not a substance. This is such a good point, and I think this is a point that needs to be hammered home as well. 
that sin isn't some external force that's like acting on us and infecting us, you know, like some cartoon mist that's covering you and going in your nostrils that you're breathing. Like sin is you acting against God's commands. That's what sin is. You know, James 1, 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Mm-hmm. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it's you. <laughs> it's not this ethereal force floating out there in the universe somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's you. It's your privation yeah. and your positive inclination towards unrighteousness that is sin. Yeah, and sin has power over our flesh. That's why we are told to die to the flesh, so that sin will not have power over us. Like it has power, like it does, like, but God's spirit inside of us helps us die to our flesh. Because if we die to the flesh, you know, all of our intents, all of our intentions are evil. That is our, I mean, that is you. That's your natural thought processes. That's your natural desires. That is what sin is. It's you acting against God, Mm -hmm. giving into your own fleshly desires um, instead of, you know, God regenerating you. And turning your nature to line, you know, that's the sanctification process to become modeled after Christ, you know, but before that, you know, it's just our evil intentions. Um, Following the way of our wicked hearts. Yeah. I think a good way to look at, you know, the idea of sin being you, it's not some force that just out there, like sin isn't going to be punished in hell for eternity. You will, if you're apart from Christ. You know, the person committing these sinful acts, acting against God, that's who's going to be punished in hell for eternity. It's not this mystical force that God's going to throw into hell. It's you and your sinful desires and your temptations that you give into. That's what's being punished. You are. Um, And he says... But what is sin? How we define sin reveals a lot about our understanding of it. We err by focusing too much on actual sins and neglecting the fact that sin always against God involves not just actions, but also inclinations and desires that may or may not lead to an act. And this, I think, is a crucial point. Because I think it's so common today for pastors and teachers to sort of teach the opposite of this. Um, And really the area that I'm thinking of is homosexuality. It's very common to hear someone teach that homosexual thoughts aren't sinful. It's the act that's sinful. You hear that all the time, and that is dead wrong. I think it's like being tempted, but you can be tempted to dwell um, to sin in your thoughts. So I think it, it you need, like, we need to clarify this because it's in your mind doesn't mean it's not sin. Like just thinking on it and, and enjoying your thoughts that are sinful. I would say even just, sin. if you're just letting those thoughts roll around in your brain, you're like, I'm fighting against it and I'm standing against it and I'm not giving in, even though my mind wanders into homosexuality and all these sorts of things. You're sinning by letting those thoughts roll around in your brain. Um, And I think that we need to come to grips with that. Like the thoughts are sinful, just the same as the actions. 
You know, mm-hmm. Christ taught us that if you're angered in your heart, you've murdered already. He taught us that if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. I mean, that's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. I mean, this is why Paul teaches us to take every thought captive mm-hmm. to obey Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And this is why part of our sanctification process is a renewed mind, a right. mind like Christ. You know, you can't be given to a depraved, sinful mind and thought processes and expect to produce righteousness and holiness, right? Because again, James teaches us what depraved thoughts lead to, depraved actions. Um, so don't believe the lie that actions only are the sin and you don't really need to worry about the thoughts. No, <laughs> the thoughts need repentance. They need yeah. renewing just the same as the actions do. Um, They're not independent. The thoughts are sinful, just the same as the actions. So uh, difficult chapter at times to read through. Um, Maybe you're smarter than us and this chapter will be a breeze, but for us, it did take a little bit of wrestling with it, but such an important topic to discuss. Um, And really the beauty of difficult discussions such as these is it, opens the door wide open, right? For the beauty of the gospel. Um, you're dead and doomed to hell, you know, but the, the television commercial, like the, but wait, there's more, you know, like, um, you know, and as we've mentioned this kind of before, when you're hiding and concealing the difficulty of sin and separation from God, this really only serves to steal the beauty and the joy of the gospel from your congregants. Um, So, you know, if you're going to preach, I would implore you to preach the whole counsel of God. And if you're going to go to hear preaching, make sure they're preaching the whole counsel of God. Uh, And I think a good way to determine if they are, at least for me, you may be different. But if you spend the entire church service happy and feeling good, you leave feeling happy and good. And that's every single week, week after week, you might need a new church. because. I think there should be certain times where you're broken and torn over your sins. You know, I think the truth of what sin is and the dangers of a life given over to sin and the danger that puts us in, that should sort of break you and cause you to fear and, um, you know, cling to God tighter. But if you just show up every Sunday and it's just, you know, a motivational speech and you're feeling good, you know, all the time. I mean, there's certainly times you want to feel good and that, you know, that should be that sort of roller coaster. You're, you're down low, you're broken over the sins, the mm-hmm. depravity, and then you're rejoicing over the, the glory of Christ and what he did for us. But if it's just always feeling good, I don't know. I know when you have a sermon about, about sin, though, it really, I know I said this before, just it because we know his mercy, like God could love a sinner like me. So talking about sin is, is good. It draws you closer to God. Really? I mean, you talked about remembering your sins. I think it does. It does. It really does. Like remember, remembering who you were just causes you to praise God all the more for his mercy and compassion. And that's not an uncommon thought in biblical Christianity. I mean, all of, you know, (laughs) Judaism and was to remember back, right? 
All the festivals are to remember what God did, where he brought us from, what we went through for, you know, that's the whole history of it is look back, remember what God did, remember where I was and he brought me out. And, you know, that doesn't change just because it's 2023. Remember where you came from. Remember what God brought you out of. Um, Feel remorse over that, that Christ had to die to set you free. That's a terrible thought to have as somebody would have to pay, not just somebody, but a perfectly righteous God had to die for you in order to save your miserable soul. <laughs> like that's a, it's a heartbreaking thing to think about. So that should bring you a little bit of sadness, but, um, do you have any last thoughts here on our Bible topic, new stories, anything before we roll into our sermon recommendation? Nope. All right. We do have a sermon recommendation that half the people are going to hate and tune out. The other half love and have probably already listened to. That's just the way it goes with preaching. And as we mentioned, if you don't like our sermon recommendations, we've asked you guys to recommend some to us. So if you fail to recommend any to us, well, shame on you. You're getting what we listen to. So uh, this sermon uh, comes from... John MacArthur, we've mentioned him before, but I wanted to bring this one up. We try not to just bring up the same people all the time, but this one I thought was worth listening to and interesting uh, because it's the first sermon that he's preached since coming back from his, you know, bout with illness and sickness. And it was at his shepherd's conference that just ended. And I get it that John MacArthur's not everybody's cup of tea. You love him, you hate him, whatever it happens to be. But I thought that this message specifically was important for everyone to hear, even if you just get a snippet of it to kind of understand what he's saying here. Because he I, uh, discusses the idea, and I think he's, you know, he's obviously talking to pastors. That's what Shepherd's Conference is for, is for pastors. So he's talking to pastors, but I would extend it to every, you know, what's the saying that you had that, you know, all Christians are theologians because we study yeah. God, right? So I would extend it out to all Christians in a sense. Um, but he makes the point that no pastor should be comfortable with just claiming that we don't have a position on, uh, any area of biblical doctrine. And I know that this really confronted me because I've done this before and very recently, right? Cause he was speaking specifically on the idea of eschatology or the end times. Right. And this is a common area where you'll hear people say like, yeah, I don't really know. Ultimately, you know, don't really have a firm position on eschatology, and it's not all that important at the end of the day. And I know I've said that before, and shame on me for saying that, because I think I'm dead wrong in that assumption. And he convicted me just in hearing this. You know, we should be working and striving to understand all of God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's obviously all vitally important. I mean, he gave us these books for a reason. Um, They're all vitally important. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can disagree about certain topics. If you study the end times and I study it and I come to a little bit different, but we should both have a a solid grasp or a firm position that we're standing on and not just be like, well, maybe there's a secret rapture. Well, there probably isn't, but who knows? And Maybe it's, you know, already happened and we're living, but who am I? Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Like you should have 
a thought on this, right? And then have a healthy discussion about it. But just to be like, hey, uh, what's your view on the end times? Eh, it's not that important. What's really important is are you in Christ and what's going to happen is going to happen. No, <laughs> you should. That is a very important thing to understand. And um, I think, you know, this goes with any area of doctrine in Christian doctrine, you should be studying to have a solid grasp on it and a belief about it mm -hmm. in some baptisms and uh, spiritual gifts and end times and, you know, uh, yeah, any number of topics, right? You should be studying to understand them all and have a position on them. Um, but we should just never be comfortable. And I think the point I'm getting at is just being like, yeah, I don't really know, and it's not that important. I think just if, love Jesus. If it's like not a salvation issue, issue, then that's well, and that's why. the that's the position that we always get. I think in trouble in because I agree with you, right? This is the whole Augustine essential, non-essential. You can have some people say primary, secondary doctrines. Certainly agree with all of that. That you know eschatology of the end times is a non-essential, you know, it's not a salvation issue, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Right. And it doesn't mean right. that you shouldn't have an understanding and a viewpoint on it. You should, right. You can't just dismiss entire sections of Christian doctrine and be like, eh, it's not that important. It's not an essential doctrine. No, you should, especially if you're studying to be a pastor or you are a pastor I mean, you darn sure better have a position on it. But for all of us as Christians, you know, you should be working to have a, a solid understanding of this. So, because these are questions you're going to get. I mean, I just made a joke and I feel, again, a little bit of guilt and shame over it, but being in the jail and it was like one of my first times in, no, it was my first time going solo. You know, I normally went up with a older gentleman, Scott, great man of God, very smart, it was my first time going by myself and I was really well prepared with my sermon and what I was going to talk about. And the guy up front raised his hand and I was like, yeah, what's up, man? He's like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, absolutely. He's like, it's about revelation. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, you can ask me, but you may get it. I don't know. And, you know, I feel a bit ashamed that like, you know, I should have feel comfortable taking that question and going, Hey, here's what I believe. I understand that, you know, there's differences of opinions, but this is the way I understand it. And it makes sense. That should be what we're working to. So, yeah. um, and it also could be maybe a little bit because John MacArthur uses the book of Zechariah as sort of his, uh, oh. kind of preaching point on this topic. And our pastor, Pastor Bill Kane, who we just did an interview with, go give that a listen. It's our previous episode. Wonderful man of God himself. He just got done going through the entire book of Zechariah. So this is near and dear to our heart. We just, and again, we sat and listened to it all. And we we're like, praise God, we were in this church to go through this book because that would have been tough, right? But we should be going through it. We should be studying it, learning it for ourselves so that we can show ourselves approved, right? Studying to show ourselves approved is what we should all be working towards in all areas of Christian doctrine. So I think it's a good sermon. You know, whatever your feelings on MacArthur are, I think the point stands for all of us. Um, 
don't just dismiss wholesale entire sections of Christian doctrine because eh, it's not essential. Um, it was essential enough for God to put it in the book. So it's essential enough for yeah, us to have an understanding right. of it. So do you have any final thoughts on anything we've discussed here today, honey? Um, no. <laughs> All right. So we will be back. You know, we're pretty much fully moved into the house. The podcast, you know, room here is probably going to go under a little, undergo a little bit of transformation. We kind of threw it together quickly. You did. Um, I did, but so it may, you know, or it may not. I don't know. I may just leave it because I'm lazy. So does it look like pretty much the same as before? Like what everyone else is seeing, maybe a different color wall. Yeah, we're a little further back now than we were before. We're further apart. But that's because I have this table in between <laughs> us now. But we'll see. If you don't like the layout, let us know. And uh, we'll consider it. Can't promise you we'll do anything about it, but we'll consider it. So, but otherwise, we'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals going through the Gospel of Luke. And back next week uh, with Knowing Sin, part four, and obviously the news of the week. So that is all we got. Hope you guys have a blessed week. God bless. Mm-hmm.